I'm Eric Court. Welcome to episode three of Real and Present, a podcast about mindfulness as a practice and a way of life. Last week, I talked about three invitations of mindfulness. These three invitations were attentiveness to the present moment, awareness of our thoughts, and the ability to exercise some choice over our thoughts. At least this has been my experience of mindfulness, but of course I claim no authority over this topic or any other topic. I might be just enjoying some placebo effect of mindfulness, or I might just be deluded. Of course, if I am, I'm in very good company. There is a lot of interest these days in mindfulness, but popular and beneficial are not the same thing, of course. So today I would like to talk about two additional reasons why mindfulness might be worth your time. First, I would like to talk about the scientific evidence as it pertains to mindfulness. In 2017, a group of researchers from the United States and the Netherlands, under the direction of Dr. Nicholas Van Dam, published a review paper that provided a critical appraisal of all of the published evidence that related to the effects of mindfulness meditation. That paper highlighted the fact that there were significant methodologic concerns with much of the research that had been done until that time, and what evidence there was was largely self-contradictory. However, the group did note that even at that point, there was some evidence that mindfulness was beneficial, at least for some conditions, including depression and anxiety. That group called for additional studies to be conducted that were of higher quality, and in the meantime, they cautioned proponents of mindfulness to be cautious and accurate in their statements about the utility of mindfulness as a practice. This paper was highlighted in an article in the lay press in Scientific American in the same year. That article also struck a cautious, if not skeptical note. The article in Scientific American noted that at the time, mindfulness meditation had already grown to a $1 billion industry, and of course, since then, has only ballooned from there. Now that is in itself not a bad thing, but it does certainly create the potential for some serious conflicts of interest. Since the publication of this review article in 2017, there have been many well-designed clinical trials that have been published examining the benefits of mindfulness meditation. Dr. Van Dam himself has published research that indicated that meditation generally was beneficial, although his paper highlighted the fact that sustained practice was necessary, underscoring that mindfulness is not a quick fix, a conclusion that I would certainly agree with. There is also a growing body of evidence based on functional MRI. These studies use this advanced imaging technology to identify how meditation affects the brain on the functional and structural levels. These studies have shown that meditation changes the signaling network within the brain. These studies have shown that these changes occur not only while an individual is meditating, but that meditation can lead to long-standing changes within the brain. These changes in the signaling network put us in a better position to respond to emotional stressors. Taking into account all this evidence that is now available to us, the American Psychological Association, as well as leading neuroscientists, agree that mindfulness is a practice that can have beneficial effects for our mental health. But let's set aside the scientific evidence about mindfulness as a practice and talk about mindfulness as a way of life. When we speak about mindfulness as a way of life, we are speaking about being attentive to things as they really are, 
we are talking about reality. The question is, how do I want to exist? Do I want to be attentive to what is really happening in the present moment? Or do I want to be, for the most part, distracted in the realm of thoughts? We don't need to be judgmental about either the realm of thoughts or the realm of reality. We simply need to ask, what is it that we want? To distill it down to its essence, we can ask, do we want to think about eating an apple or do we want to eat an apple? For myself, I would prefer eating the apple. Now, of course, I need to think about eating an apple before I can eat the apple. I need to figure out where I'm going to get the apple. Then I need to go obtain the apple. Maybe I'm going to slice it up before I eat it. But these thoughts are serving my desire to actually eat an apple. These are not thoughts that are distracting me from eating the apple. But is it necessarily better to be attentive to reality as it arises in the present moment, as opposed to escaping it through some sort of distraction or anesthesia? After all, for many of us, there is suffering in the present moment. I have heard many extraordinary tales of recovery from people who have found a way to overcome their suffering in the present moment, in part by attending to that suffering and identifying ways that that suffering could be resolved. For the moment, let's simply ask for the sake of argument, what would happen if we were able to eliminate the suffering that is present in reality? If we were able to eliminate the suffering that we inflict upon ourselves in the world of thoughts, and we're also able to find a way to reduce the suffering that is inflicted upon us by other people or things, what would we be left with? Would the resulting reality necessarily be preferable to whatever might be in our daydreams or on television? For myself, I find that existence on this planet is amazing and beautiful. If we as humans would simply stop hurting each other, I suspect we would find that the opportunity to simply exist on this sphere would be more than enough incentive for waking up in the morning. But why do I feel that way? I suspect that there may be something inherently beautiful about the universe with all of its complexities and the phenomena that arise within it. However, I also think it's within our genes. Evolution is a process that selects for those genes that promote the probability of survival and procreation, while those genes that decrease the probability of survival and procreation are eliminated from the gene pool through a process of attrition. I would think that having a certain zest for life would increase the probability that I'm going to survive and procreate. If I don't want to live here, if I don't find it to be enjoyable to be on this planet, then it seems I am less likely to strive to survive, procreate, and care for my offspring. For this reason, I think that over the eons, evolution has selected for species that have a certain inherent love for the features of this place that we live in. So yes, I suspect that existence in the present moment is wonderful by default. If we can decrease those things that distract us from our own existence and decrease those things that are truly causing us suffering in the present moment, then I think the result is necessarily an increase in happiness and joy. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. So neuroscience, experience, and even some evolutionary biology suggests that mindfulness is a practice that leads to an increase in our well-being. I hope that you will continue to explore this practice and this way of life with me next time. Until then, be well.